0: Hi everyone, welcome to Chit Chat, and this is our 100th episode, and I am typing Q&A session right at the top, and I'm going to pin it because I know how to do that, and I, I Jai is here, One okay, Jai is here, and I'm going to do this, anything's going on. And I'm gonna pin this thing. Wait, now I lost it. Okay, here it is. <laughs> hey, Ty. What's up? Adibo. What are you going to pin? I pinned Q&A sessions so that people oh. know that that's what this is, so that they can ask questions. Um, but welcome to our 100th episode. It's so nice. I can't believe we've been doing this for 100 days, Jaya. I know.
1: I should have made it in my 100-day challenge.
0: I know, right? (laughs) I'm at like like 50-something, and I'm just like, this is not going anywhere. Um, uh, So for those of you that didn't see the – I'll repeat myself – throughout but for those of you that didn't see because sometimes Instagram stories is not the best way to communicate with people okay. um, the Instagram story we're doing a Q&A session today so all of your questions that's what that's all we're gonna be doing today just um, answering whatever questions you all throw at us. So if you want to ask a question in the comments you can or there's like this little question button which just like sends a question but let's start off with this one Jaya I thought it was a really
1: well I want to say thank you to all the um birthday wishes that are coming on the comment thread oh yeah that's right Um, I don't want to um seem callous so thank (laughs) y'all for the well wishing I really do appreciate it I don't do birthdays very well um often no one knew when my birthday was in the bhakti center because I just didn't want to do birthdays didn't do appreciation circles it just wasn't my thing I also didn't celebrate birthdays growing up it wasn't because I was a Jehovah's Witness it just anything that potentially cost money was against our religion so
0: (laughs) that that, that sounds about right
1: (laughs) so there was no Christmas no Kwanzaa no no birthdays no Halloween because these are all potential um, money costers okay
0: so, so it's Pina's birthday too she said that yesterday you guys share oh, oh wow happy birthday yeah so I, I, I haven't said happy birthday yet to you Jaya because <laughs> happy birthday Jaya because I'm also not the best at birthdays I like I kind of zone out on birthdays um, it's
1: okay you're forgiven yeah.
0: thanks <laughs> um, oh I like what Sanjeev Rada says she says you look like a floating head of wisdom with your camouflaging wall and shirt <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, you know, I thought my, when I have this like tank on, which I really like, but one of my friends says it kind of, because of the way I hold the phone, it kind of looks like a bra. <laughs> so I was like, that's not very good, because it's like one of those like skinny string workout tanks, basically. So I was like, I, that's not good if it looks like a bra, you know, I'm not a cross dresser. So I thought I would wear a shirt over it so it looks a little bit more appropriate. <laughs>
0: You put on a shirt. <laughs> <Krishna>. <laughs> okay. Um, so 100th episode, everyone. Jaya's birthday and Princess Pepina's birthday. And let's get started. So if you, at any point you feel inspired to ask a question, please ask away. And Jaya and I said we'd be answering philosophical questions, uh, personal questions, like if you have a personal question, not a personal question about us i think that'd be kind of awkward i mean it could be oh. but not too personal <laughs> and and then what, what were you gonna say jaya
1: yeah it could be personal but yeah not too not personal, personal. <laughs>
0: <laughs> don't put us on the spot put on the, that's all i'm saying um and then like societal questions so questions about society culture politics whatever's going on in the world so this question that came through the instagram uh, stories. I thought was a really interesting question. Let's see if I can find it. Question that came oh no, Instagram. that's us talking right now. Okay, now how do I do this? Man, see, I knew I was gonna run into this problem. Okay, I kind of remember it. Cause like I'm on the, I'm on the Bhakti Center's Instagram on line right now, like on my computer. And if I okay. click on the it pulls us up talking okay whatever I kind of remember the the question the question was basically like what like it was interesting it was like a personal question but also a societal question but also a philosophical question it was all three in one and the question was you that the question was there huh
1: there is no way to like put it on the screen or you can't find it I don't it's just it's just nice to see exactly what it is
0: it will be nice if um for those of you that want to ask questions now you can use the little question button and that way I can put it on the screen yeah it was the one about political views maybe if someone can take a screenshot of it or something because I was trying to like get it and I thought I would be able to um but it doesn't seem like that's
1: the key that comes on the bhakti center stories
0: huh yeah, it's on the Bhakti Center stories, but my problem is that if I click the Bhakti Center stories right now, it'll just take us to you and me doing the live, which okay. I did not foresee that. Okay. Unless, I don't know. Okay, whatever, I kind of remember the story. I mean, I kind of remember the question. The question was basically that you and I obviously, I remember the word was obviously was used. You and I obviously have different political views And how, like, how do we account for that on a philosophical perspective?
1: How do we account for different philosophical views on a from a
0: philosophical perspective? Account for political views on a philosophical and
1: philosophical. That's easy. Basically, a person's view of the world is shaped by largely two things: their some scars and their knowledge. So as soon as we take birth in the world, we bring with us our, I often like to call them prejudices from previous lives. Mm -hmm. And prejudices are basically have two categories, attachment and aversion, raga and dvesha. So Krishna says, from the very outset of birth, Sargayanti Parantapa, from the very outset of birth, we are born informed by the prejudices acquired from previous lives. Basically, I like this. I don't like that. So the way that we view the world, even from a very young age, that is largely informed by our impressions previously. And then it's informed by our upbringing. Mm. Uh, so that's the, sort of the second factor that it comes into. So you already come in with a certain view of the world, believe it or not. And then you grow up in a certain way that starts to shape that. Of course, the way you grow up gives you more impressions and that starts to
0: shape uh, how you see things. I just put it on the screen. I, I, I figured out how to do it. So the question was, you obviously differ in political positions. How, it's the same question. How does now yeah. account for diversity of thought?
1: Yeah, so how does spirituality account for diversity of thought? So, yeah, so some scars. Then you have your cultural upbringings, um, which affords you a certain type of knowledge. Knowledge of your immediate world, knowledge of a certain type of history and so on. So the combination of these samskaras and your knowledge will inform the way that you see things politically, culturally, even spiritually, and so on. So, um, so that's that. So when you see diversity or differences, basically, in the way that people think about things, then it's largely due to their knowledge or lack thereof and uh, certain impressions. What I often find interesting is people with similar cultural upbringings, they and similar knowledge, they may have completely different positions on certain, let's say, political issues or religious issues. So the way that is accounted for is oh, they have different some scars, different imprints that inform the way that they see see the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's let's take for example the recent political thing with like Black Lives Matter and so on. One of the big sort of Talking points that came out of that 's been coming out of that is like the defund the police idea, and um, I often wonder like the people I often wonder how people and communities that are like would that suffer from a lot of crime, how they feel about that defund the police mm. notion because those of us who lived in more privileged areas. And didn 't have to worry about crime as much it 's a lot easier for us to see like yeah police are problematic because there's obviously some problematic police there, and therefore yeah, we should defund them, and that money should go elsewhere, for example, um, but I, I often I wondered when that narrative was coming up how people who grew up in those communities feel, feel about that mm. they, they may have a very different relationship with that with the police even. Mm people who are law abiding citizens and who live in bad neighborhoods, you know, they may depend to some degree on police. I remember a few years ago when Baltimore, uh, Baltimore was getting a lot of flack, I think with Black Lives Matter and police brutality. And I remember when there was a sort of um, like not defund, like the police were kind of stepping down because there was getting a lot of flack and then crime shot up like anything in Baltimore. And then some of the maybe the mayor or something was saying, well, we didn't expect the police to like completely pull out. We were just saying that, you know, don't kill our people and so on. Mm. So the reason I'm giving that as an example is because it's a current event, but also to show that we have certain imprints, you know, which come from different life experiences and certain knowledge that will lead to our thinking about certain issues. Like for me, I don't consider, I don't consider myself as being particularly political. Yeah, um, I'm not like it's not like I I'm really into politics. I really studied um, I only recently when I was in the ashram, I knew diddly squat about politics. I mean, when I was living as a monk from you know 2003 to 2015, 2016, I knew nothing about anything that was going on in the, in the, the material world. When I came out, I was kind of trying to feel my way out in a world that I was largely unaware of frankly and it wasn't like i was living in complete isolation but I, it was like a hard christian bubble like i really didn't know so much of the world and i wasn't using youtube mm. i i didn't even have a smartphone for the lo- longest time so i was really disconnected from the world so when i started to come back into the world and i was trying to get a, a sense of the heartbeat of the political situation and so on i started to discover that my way of thinking largely fall on a scale which was now considered conservative. Mm. And, but it's not like I identify as a conservative or everything that conservatives say. I'm like, yeah, that, that you know, because it's a conservative, therefore I believe it. I just found out that my way of thinking, which was informed by, again, my own impressions, but my knowledge of scripture also, because those are the two criteria, impressions and knowledge. I, my knowledge and my upbringings, my impressions, I discovered to my surprise also, that they were largely conservative in nature. So now that when I speak about an issue that's considered political in nature, mm. I sound like people think that I sound like a conservative. Mm. Whereas I'm not really that aware of so many like conservatives and their talking points and their the root things. I just, the things that make the most sense to me based on the knowledge that I've got gathered from scripture and from my own upbringings Mm. um, have accounted for that sort of perspective. Mm. Not that I exactly think that way. So um, anyway, so that's how you account for the diversity. It's, It's literally unavoidable. And that's why in devotional communities, when devotees choose to talk about politics, then about Krishna, then there will always be quarrel because we all have a different we all have different some scars and different knowledge when it comes to the conventional world. And we'll always end up on one side or the other of these material dualities. And so when we choose to talk about anything other than Krishna, then our differences will shine through mm. and you know, that tension will come up.
0: Mm. Thank you for answering that Jaya. I also just short, I just wanna say that I don't think our political positions obviously differ yeah. Because, I mean, maybe I come off as more liberal and maybe you come off as more conservative. I, I It seems to be like that's what this is kind of um, insinuating. Right, right, right. But I don't think that that's necessarily true. You know, like, a lot, I, think, I think what makes these chit chats really interesting is that neither you nor I are really, like, extremist in our political things. Like, we're kind of very, like, open to like, okay, well, what does this say? And what does this say? And let's look at that. And let's look at this and etc. Right. Personally, personally, I was more on the end of like, I did study a lot of politics, before mm. getting into, you know, before taking devotional life seriously. And, you know, it was kind of a turn off, to be honest. <laughs> because, Because you see a lot of we we spoke about this yesterday, and I don't want to get into this because it's a whole topic. But you see a lot of people with very high ideals or high political ideals, you know, like, this is how things should be. And this is how we should change society and blah, 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 blah. And these are my ideals. But then the follow through or the ability to really embody or embrace those ideals falls short because of my lack of discipline my, you know, we've spoken so much about this on Chit Chat my lack of ability to self-reform, right? And that's for a variety of reasons, right? Society, whatever, et cetera. So I remember when I was like literally at the like, you know, I don't want to brag, but I was literally at the London School of, you know, economics and political science and all these like big shots and everything. And I was kind of just like, I think that's when I had my first existential like just like break with society. I was just like, this is stupid, you know, like all of, not to be reductive, but I was just like, this is really like, you know, in the ivory tower, I say this, and then when I leave, I act a completely different way. And And it's hard to it's hard to avoid it's very hard. (laughs) And I think that that's why for me, even though it might seem I come off more liberal or for you, it might seem like you might come off more conservative. I think we're like crazy extremists. And that's what makes this very nourishing when we do touch on political things. Okay, right. So if you have a question, I see the other questions kind of here in the in the chat. But there's also the question feature, which is kind of nice because I can put the question on the there's a, there's a lot of questions I can put the question on the Um, everyone can see. Okay, so oh my god, here we go. Okay. <laughs> Devotee relationships can often be strained when it comes to temple politics. How do we avoid this?
1: But, um. By not talking about it.
0: <laughs> by um, um, you know how Facebook invented the button that's like you don't defriend someone, but you just unfollow what they say. Like <laughs> they call it mute,
1: right? Yeah, you can mute them. That is the secret, especially in quarantine. You just mute them. Next question. No. <laughs> um. Yeah, devotee relationships can often be strained when it comes to temple politics. Yeah, I mean, I've been I've been in the heat of temple politics before I was I mean, I was ousted by out of a temple because of some temple politics. Yes. So I know it is. And my relationships with persons that I previously considered fans was profoundly strained. Yes. And even my regard for certain leaders who happened to be involved in the situation surrounded me with strength because of that. Yes. Um, How do we avoid this? I don't think it's avoidable. No. So I, um, our destinies are more or less fixed. It's just like when you get on an airplane that's going from New York to India. You know, the, the trajectory is basically fixed. And you can decide what you're going to do on the plane. Um, like if you accost a stewardess while you're on the plane, then when it reaches the destination, you'll be arrested. Yeah. But so you, can, you have like certain parameters that you can work within while you're on the plane. But you can't really change the trajectory of the plane Mm. so our our destinies are kind of fixed in that sense we can only navigate how to um deal with the encounter with those destinies with you know skill or with grace yeah so avoiding it is not really possible but um, the, I guess the question then comes, how does one navigate that skillfully yeah. so that one doesn't lose their faith or lose their spirituality? I see you want to say something, so I'm going to so cut.
0: I want to say something that you told me when I was going through a lot of this kinds of stuff. This uh. kind of stuff. And I remember because I was, I was very much like building castles in the sky. And I, it, I tend to be a little bit of an extremist, like dealing with people like I'm, and myself. I mean, they're like really optimistic. Or I'm just like, it's all, you know, going to shit. (laughs) So I was in a very optimistic moment. And I was going through some stuff with devotees. And I was just like, but they're devotees, you know, like, how is this happening? Like, why is it like this? And I was being very naive. And like, but I'm supposed to have this like beautiful devotional friendship and relationship and this and etc. And I remember like, you snapped me into it. And you were just like, um, yeah, they're devotees but they also have a material body and mind and emotions and some scars. Like you also have a material side to yourself. And so we're all dealing with that material side Mm. of simultaneously while we are trying to be devotees and trying to work on our Vaishnava qualities and et cetera. And like this. And I don't know, ever since, you know, ever since that happened, um, I've become a little bit more realistic about devotee relationships. I think that they're, of course, I want to honor them and honor the Vaishnavas and honor other devotees. But at the same time, like, you know, you might rub someone the wrong way. And I don't think, at least personally, like I noticed in myself and in my conflict that I was having, like putting that, like, how do I avoid this at all costs, you know, mentality wasn't really serving me. And rather having that moment of just like acceptance, like, okay. This is a quality that you have and there's a quality that I have, and they're not working together right now. So, you know, and then you take it from there. And that, that really helped me.
1: Yeah. How, how important a relationship is obviously going to inform how you try to navigate that. Yeah. But at the end of the day, yeah, the material side of a Vaishnava is likely to clash with the material side of another Vaishnava that is unavoidable. So therefore, in order to avoid not avoid if we ultimately want to transcend such rubs there has to be one center and that center is krishna yes that's something that usually all vaishnavas can agree upon krishna should be served his glory should be chanted and so on and basically anything outside of that this is going to sound harsh but basically anything outside of that is becoming more and more removed for essential what it means to essentially have a relationship with a Vaishnava. Mm. In other words, if you think of, I often use this image. You have like the center and then you have like the peripheral. So at the center of Vaishnava Sangha is the exchange of Hari Kata, Hari Kirtan. That is what it means to associate with Vaishnavas. And whatever we're doing outside of that is moving more and more towards the periphery. Now, there are certain, there are certain conversations we have to have as devotees to help us do the Hari Kata and Hari Kirtan think proper. So that's still closer to the center. It's not really the center of a Vaishnava relationship, but it's supportive to that center. Mm-hmm. So those sorts of questions may be important. But then when you get into things like going out and partying, uh, all stuff that I like to do, by the way, so this is not, <laughs> this is not judging anyone, all things I like to do, when you start getting more into like the material side or the more human side of who we are, then you should expect a human clash That's, that comes with the territory. Yeah. There is no utopia in this world. So we want to do like the, we can live without any sort of strain to some degree. If we all agree we're just going to do the Krishna thing. Boss, finish. But the trade off is you can't do all the Maya stuff that we also like to do as humans. Because <laughs> we, we're also humans. We like to do Maya things like watch Avatar, hang out and sh- you know, go to the beach and waste time and people watch or whatever it is that we like to do. But if we want to you know, satisfy the more human instincts, which is also natural, then that comes with this other territory also, like the, the clash and the rubs and the politics and all of that. Yeah. So if the relationship is important enough for us, then we, we just try to you know, talk to individuals and get back to the essence of our relationship. But it's basically completely unavoidable. Um, yeah, life is <laughs> <laughs>
0: dying. Okay, next question. So let's see. Uh, oh, what's that? I don't know what that is. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> oh, here we go. This is a great question. PB chat. What issues do you foresee as troublesome for ISKCON in the near future?
1: Ooh. <laughs> I don't know if I'm the best one to comment on that, but I guess I, the first thing that comes to mind hearing that is devotees not knowing scripture. Um, I do foresee that as a big issue because I see it as a, a major issue today in the right now. Devotees not knowing Srimad Bhagavatam specifically, which is the main scripture that informs our Gaudiya Vaishnava theology, And as a result of not knowing scripture, allowing all other concepts to infiltrate our devotional communities, things that they get from, you know, really nice books that inspired them. You know, we have this idea that it comes from Chanaka Pandit in the Niti Shastra, which is like scriptures dealing with morality. And he says, you can take gold from a dirty place.
0: Mm.
1: And that means like, you may happen to stumble upon like a good idea and you like to share that idea. Like we we mentioned, this one is attributed to saying this, this one quoted this. You know, we like to, Abraham Lincoln said this and this person said that and so on. And because we happen to stumble upon those thoughts and it aligns with something scripture brings up, so we might bring it up, you know, it's a popular name or whatever. So you may take gold from a dirty place, but you shouldn't go to a dirty place looking for gold. Mm. And to some degree, I feel that I, I wonder and I get concerned if devotees are going, spending a lot of time in dirty places. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by dirty places here mm-hmm. is books that are outside of scriptural canon, basically, and specifically the Shrimad Bhagavatam. Shrimad Bhagavatam is is said to be the sun giving light to the people of the age of Kali who are Nashtadrishti. Nashtadrishti means they have lost their vision. So as articulate as different individuals may be in the world, if we accept Srimad Bhagavatam's understanding of things, these people, however articulate, have lost their vision. And of course, it is true they identify with the body and you know all these sorts of things, a problem that we all have. So I, I do foresee the problem of devotees not knowing or caring to really engage with scripture in a deep way. Mm. And so all these other concepts are being allowed to infiltrate mm. into our devotional communities, especially if they're coming from a voice that's... A, esteemed in the community either because of his organizational position or what i've also noticed in our communities if someone has a certain academic position therefore they must you know somehow be informed about what scripture says and um i do foresee that to be a big a big issue coming up in the future another anyway that's one major issue this devotees being disconnected from our main text and understanding our main, our main text engagement with it in a very deep way. We're more interested in hearing a podcast by, you know, Chris Dalia, Dele- whatever, you know, some Joe Rogan or whoever, than we are to just like hear Srimad Bhagavatam. And what's gonna happen is the, these generation of podcasters and YouTubers and Instagram, they're gonna be the ones giving our Srimad Bhagavatam class. And they're gonna be quoting this one and that one. And basically just simply mental speculating. So mm. this is, I feel, is going to be, this is exactly how um, the destruction of the lineage takes place. Krishna mm. mentions this in the s- second verse of the um, Bhagavad Gita, "Evam mm. parampara praptam iman rajasaya vidu. Sa kalaneha yoga Sa kalaneha with the great passing of time, there's yoga nashta. and mm. Yoga nastha means the destruction of the teachings on yoga. So in our case, the teachings of Srimad Bhagavatam. I think another issue that's going to come up, um, especially for ISKCON, after the Prabhupada disciples leave is uh, there's a danger of um, splinter groups yeah. becoming more and more abundant because at least the Prabhupada disciples have their devotion to Prabhupada to keep ISKCON together. Whereas the next generation, we don't have the same devotion necessarily. Like we have in our hearts, we share love for Prabhupada, but we have our love and hate relationship with the institution. And um, with this whole energy of like, destroy the, you know, fill in the blank, yeah destroy the patriarchy, destroy the government, destroy that whole energy, our generation of kids like millennials onward, I'm a millennial also our generation, we're bringing that energy into our ISKCON also. Mm. So what I feel what's gonna happen is that there's gonna be disagreements, something about the government's not gonna sit well with people, and they're just gonna start their own splinter group, or just like, you know, what I, we're just gonna exist independently. Mm. So I feel that may be a, another major issue that's gonna come up. Those are two, there are probably a lot more, but I think that's, that comes to mind immediately. I also have a lot of questions, Jaya okay well we'll get
0: maybe we can do this for a few days it's kind of fun i agree with you um about that here this is money blue skies this is a great question i was going to agree with you about the second one specifically but let's let's go on to this question how to make sure you don't simply plateau in your spiritual life can i get back to you (laughs) (laughs) in a plateau so (laughs) like Oh my god, you want to go? Yeah, I'll go. I feel like this is what we've been talking about in Chit Chat. Like so much of Chit Chat has been about this specific question in many ways, you know? Yeah. Because something that we really delineated with that we we identified at the beginning of our Chit Chat, which began with like going into quarantine and COVID and etc., was that now our roles in society and for many of us have been taken away, kind of the external paraphernalia has been taken away of like, moving around the day to day, whatever. And so I'm faced with the dilemma of facing who I am facing myself, facing my, my relationship with Krishna and how, you know, what, what state of that is facing my relationship with my bhajan like this. And so for that very reason, we were like, let's let's do chit chat, like let's have something steady every day. And I think that you and I have said this many times on chit chat, I remember specifically one time where we, we were kind of expressing our gratitude for this Sangha and our gratitude for coming together with people and our gratitude for having this um, association. And, you know, I mean, there's so many answers to this question, not simply plateau in your spiritual life. For me, the biggest thing that's coming to mind is – I mean, there's two. One of them is make, taking radical steps, you know, in your spiritual life. How do I choose my spiritual life more radically every single day? Like, How do I have that like, alarm go off in my head when I notice that I'm being inattentive in my rounds or inattentive in my worship, whatever it is? Like, what do I have to do to cultivate that? And for me, what has, I mean, there's many things that cultivate that, but for me, having Sangha is so important. And not just having Sangha, because I can have Sangha with a bunch of you know, devotees who are wonderful because they're devotees, but maybe they don't know Shastra, or maybe they don't take Shastra seriously, or maybe they don't really wanna, they just don't want to, right? And that's fine, you know? But having the association of devotees that are making efforts to better their spiritual life like actually makes me want to do the same thing and when i see other devotees and friends specifically that are like yes we need to put krishna at the center of our life yes i'm gonna get on a zoom call for an hour you know i'm gonna get on a zoom call for an hour and a half two hours and i think it's little moments because i mean comparing yourself to others usually is seen as like a bad thing supposedly but I don't know sometimes it kind of like serves it might, it might have its place yeah, it might have its place. I'll give you an example, not to be too embarrassing, but like sometimes I'm on a zoom call and it's a devotional zoom call, and we're like in a meeting and it's going on like an hour it's going on it's going on past the amount of time that it's supposed to go on, and I'm there in my consciousness like <laughs> you know like I turn off my video and then so and then someone will ask the facilitator will be like you. You all don't mind if we stay on an extra half an hour, 45 minutes. And everyone is like, yes, let's stay on an extra 40, 45 minutes. And I'm just like, "Oof, okay, I just got called out in my own head, you know. And for me, that kind of Sangha is important. Because if I'm around a bunch of people that are just like, nah, whatever, let's end it now, or like, you know, this kind of thing, then that's kind of the, that's, that's what I'm going to reap, you know. That's what's going on mm-hmm. in life. And for me, that's, that's been what's been very important to me.
1: I would like to, just as a quick answer, mm. uh, well, two points. The first one is, there's an essay by Srila Bhakanyol Thakur mm. um, on Niyamagraha. So uh, Niyamagraha is one of the six destroyers or saboteurs of bhakti mentioned in the Rubha Goswami's So Bhakanyol Thakur wrote 12 essays on verses 2 and 3. Mm. and uh, they compile them in a book that they call Bhakti Aloka, which you can find in the PDF online, Bhakti Aloka, uh, which deals with the saboteurs and enhancers of bhakti, six saboteurs and six enhancers of bhakti, and one of the saboteurs is Niyama Agraha, so, which means to cling too tightly mm. to one platform and not allowing yourself to advance to the next. Mm. Amongst its two meanings, that's one of the meanings that Bhakti Takur explores so that would be a really cool essay to check out for this question and i on a personal level i can share that um and i think this also is echoing a lot of what on talk course says in this essay basically getting comfortable with one stage and allowing that comfort to uh, fetter you to that platform mm. Uh, and and not being willing to make the necessary sacrifice to move to the next stage mm. of advancement, whatever that sacrifice may be at that time. The, 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 the thing about progress in general is that you, you're, there's a really cool quote about this from Joseph Campbell that I can't pull up right now. But he makes this point that unless we're continually, like, basically moving forward, then our successes will become our chains that keeps us from progressing. So I know on a personal level, I've, I've plateaued in a lot of ways because I've been unable to make the necessary sacrifices to move to the next stage of my evolution. I've become like more or less comfortable with where I'm at now. Like I get my rounds done. I'm, you know, I still read I'm kind of smart and I, I articulate and I'm happy with that. Like, Never mind, I'm not really moving forward so deeply. I've become complacent and comfortable with where I'm at and I haven't been able to make certain sacrifices. So I guess if you see that happening in your psyche, then that's a good way to plateau. So
0: <laughs> I'm all I'm also just to give more of a um I'm just to give more practical examples, like when I notice that I plateau, I I'm like a dramatic shift kind of person, like dramatic change kind of person. And so, like, I will either get really organized and make a plan on how to unplateau. I don't know if that works for some people. Or I will make a dramatic shift in my life in some some way or another. Because sometimes you get comfortable, you know? And not what
1: Sometimes.
0: What's that word? Complacent. You know, you get... You become of where you're at. I specifically remember I was having I don't want to give too much information about this because it was, um, it was a personal conversation. But I was having a conversation with my guru Dave specifically about like, how to move on in life or what should I be doing next or whatever. And he really told me like, what you're doing right now. Like, it's great. And it's good that you're doing it right now. But there needs to be some like forward movement, essentially is what he told me without going too personal. And it's just like that concept is sometimes not so easily digestible simply because what we're doing right now is what we're used to. And it's like, well, yes. I'm comfortable. This is what I know, you know, and out there yes. the, you know, unforeseen and I don't know what's going to happen. And it kind of all boils down into my like trust in Krishna, because if I'm plateauing, it means I'm comfortable. I'm complacent. I'm kind of satisfied with what I'm doing right now. And to shake that up and change things around, it'd be like, it's challenging, challenging. Okay, more questions. This is fun. We should do this more often, Jai. Okay, wow. Okay. This is a nice one. Sometimes, oh wait, how do I see the rest of the question? Sometimes I would find myself wanting to dive into reading, but there was a lot of labor needed or seva. How do I see the rest of the question? Okay. There was a lot of labor needed or seva to be done that would pull me in the other direction, maybe. For some reason, I can't see the rest of the question.
1: <laughs> Kevin, you want to write the rest of the question, I think? So, I, I feel like this might have like a very specific context. It sounds like a temple ashram resonant context. <laughs> I think, Doesn't it? It does. Where you, like, where you want to read more, but there's just so much seva piling up that you can't get to it. Um, <laughs> That's like a very classic ashram experience, you know, I, I joined the monastery thinking that it's going to be like a very peaceful place for study and like going inside. And it turns out it's a place for a lot of seva. Yeah, no, that, um,
0: that was the rest of the question. It was like sometimes I would find myself wanting to dive into reading, but there was a lot of labor needed and a seva to be done that would pull me
1: yeah he's saying he's saying exactly yeah i thought i'm sorry i'm sorry for laughing it's just that as a person who grew up in an ashram where my you know the all the first 13 years of my christian consciousness was an ashram experience this was a tension that was faced perpetually you know the you know when we and it's so funny because when we were living in in the ashram or the monastery and you would tell people yeah i'm a monk i live in the monastery You know, people have this very specific image of their mind of like solitude and quiet and study Mm -hmm. and just absorption and and really going deep in prayer. Whereas the real situation is like Mm -hmm. (laughs) running from one stable to the next to the next to the next. And maybe if you get a little time, you can get some reading it's just a very classic ashram tension of course even people who don't live in ashrams they may have a similar desire yeah but um because they have so many responsibilities you know to their home and to their their children and wives and husbands and so on they may not get to it um
0: one thing i will say about this question because i also experienced this in my time in the ashram um and Thankfully, you know, Jaya was giving us in the ashram and so like that revolutionized the classes for the ashramites. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But one thing that I do appreciate is that regardless, well, first I'll say one thing that's kind of fun and funny, and then I'll say something that I appreciated. I found it so challenging because like specifically, like there was so much that I was expected to maybe not expected to know, but like all these kind of like basic tenets of bhakti, let's say from the Bhagavatam or let's say from the Chaitanya Charitamrita, whatever, that like in the ashram, like the brahmacharis or others, like they were they would be knowing, you know, they would just be knowing. And it's like me and others who just moved in were like, well, we can't read for <laughs> <laughs> four in the morning cleaning the program. And then they're like, well, why didn't you go to Mangalarti? Well, <laughs> I was cleaning the program and then (laughs) it was just kind of but one thing I will say is that the Seva regardless of you know it's like the reading of course is important and one should become very well read and one should learn these things but those friendships that you make with people in the ashram with other devotees in the ashram doing Seva together like it's just unforgettable. Like, you're never going to forget those relationships that you form in the ashram with, with other devotees doing seva together. It's really like, I'm putting aside everything else to serve in this capacity. And at least for me, like, I, st- like, you know, i even though maybe this is not the best example, but like, whenever I see, like, you know, our, our God brothers, and with you, Jaya, as well, but, you know, Jaya would sometimes skip out. He'd like help to, like.
1: How are you going to try to call me out like that? Oh, my God. I was very much there Thursday night kirtan okay I admit the festival you couldn't find me
0: (laughs) (laughs) no but me specifically I don't know Kishore Gopal is here me Kishore Gopal and Yamuna Bihari like at the very beginning we were just like I remember there was this wedding where like glitter
1: I remember that (laughs) the
0: glitter wedding there was glitter everywhere in the bhakti center everywhere And we were just up to like five in the morning i don't even know what time it was
1: yeah i remember that and to
0: this day we will always remember that and it's so sweet so those those moments of seva are very 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 there there are different
1: approaches different leaders take some leaders emphasize seva as the channel where all the enlightenment will come Mm. and other leaders emphasize you know like study and as a channel so according to your personality, one sort of leadership may be more suited to your personality than others. But again, I, as you know, my voice is very consistent on this, the, the need for Shastri study and understanding is critical. So
0: somehow, some way, you know, try to engage with that. Okay, next question. Sanjeev why do we seem to give so much more attention to external success than internal transformation, even in bhakti circles. How do we encourage? How do I see the whole question? Does anyone know how to do that? I don't. How do we encourage? I mean, I can guess the rest of the question. How do we encourage internal people as opposed to external success?
1: The, there's this statement of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. His teachings to Sanatana Goswami, Krishna Bulli say Jiva anadi bahir mm. So that the Jiva is Krishna Budi. Krishna means oblivious to Krishna. He doesn't know Krishna. Uh, anadi Bahirmukha. And for beginningless time, anadi, he is bahir So the word bahir means outside, and muka means face. So Bahir Mukha means externally oriented is how I often like to translate that. So our disease according to Mahabrabhu is precisely this, that we're externally oriented. Mm. So that means we will give more serious consideration to that which is external and not that which is internal. Therefore, we don't give consideration. For example, we don't give as much consideration to our mind often and especially in modern world than we do to our gross physical body right? Because our gross physical body is more external. So that tends to take up a lot of the energy. And we're not as careful about the thoughts that we cultivate, you know, and how we build our inner world. We don't show as much seriousness in that because of the external orientation. And then for persons who are woke to the importance of, you know, clearing up the inner world, they may not know about the soul. So their, their sense of spirituality only goes up to like, you know, enneagram and family constellation, like things that kind of deal with the psychology and for them that's like really exciting information like I know when I taught yoga sutras a few times in South America people really eat up that information because it's, it's quite psychological in nature you're learning about some scars and different components of the psychology then when it comes to like the soul and God everyone's like when it's going to get over you know and that's natural. I get that because of the bahir problem. Mm. And then even if people come to the point of understanding soul, like there's a lot of spirituality out there now that talks about the soul. The you know we're all just one soul and sort of universal whatever. They're not interested in God because God is more internal than the soul itself. Mm. And so this word is so you know, it's one simple word that kind of encapsulates the whole problem on so many different levels, by mukha, mm. we're externally oriented, anadi, for a time without beginning. Mm. And so it is only natural that external things will be taken more seriously than the internal ones. Basically, unless we're um, awakened to the need of going inside by potent personalities usually, or maybe sacred texts, mm. and you have regular reminders of that, then our disease condition is actually to look outside. Mm-hmm. When there's a problem, look outside. <laughs> Um, just like even with political situations, sorry to bring this up, but because this my thinking is like this, even when it comes to like political situations, the solution is always something pretty external, Mm. right? Like legislation Mm. that only if we get this legislation passed, then we'll be able to solve the problem. You don't hear too much talk around people needing to take responsibility for their character, their morality, uh, which is a little bit more internal than just legislation. They're like, no, we need better legislation. And then legislation is passed, and the problems are still continuing. So this, this disease is very prevalent in, in all fields. You can analyze it with this one word, Anadi Bahir Muka. Mm. So and yeah, how to go inside. It usually takes potent individuals to shift our direction.
0: Do you want a personal question, Jaya? I feel like it's going to take longer than the rest of the time that we have.
1: Um, we can, we can. Um, There's a
0: couple more. Uh, Princess Pepino wants to know how, what happened, why you left the ashram, why you left the monkhood. I feel like that's a whole episode of Chit Chat in and of itself. She says, why did you leave the monkhood if it's not too personal and how has your practice changed as a result? And then uh, there was another question from Shyam about like uh if we're worried about other devotees and they need space and we want to pray for them uh but they ta- they they struggle to take shelter of our prayers or they struggle um how what can we do so we have those two questions and a couple more questions from Mani Blue guys and a question from Missy as well about who's the decide- how is it decided who moves in at the bhakti center Uh, that seems like we'll skip that one yeah that that seems more like a management question that I don't think we need to answer um
1: well let's go to that second one um about yeah
0: So he says here he asked it in the chat he said if we are worried about devotees but they need space and we pray for them but they struggle to take shelter of our prayers what can we do
1: they, I don't, that part I think sounds funny to me, they struggle they, to take...
0: They struggle to not, not take an, our advice, but like they struggle to take shelter of our well wishes for them. You know, I see someone going through a devotee that's going through it basically, or I'm worried about them. I want to pray for them. I want to be there for them. I want to show my support for them, but they're still struggling and I can't seem to make that connection. I think that's what the question is trying to say. And it's just saying like, they need space. What can we do? Give them space. Haribo.
1: <laughs> Later. I got my own issues, too. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, i kidding. Krishna. I can't. I feel like sometimes I can seem cold like that, but I think one of the hardest lessons for souls like us in this material world to learn is that... Um, I'm looking at Sean, maybe he's trying to clarify his statement, but...
0: We struggle to take shelter that our prayers are all we can do.
1: Yes. And I think this is one thing that we struggle with as souls is that the, the notion that things are outside of our control. Mm. And I think that's, that's one of the hard pills of life that we have to learn to accept, there are certain things that may be within our ability to shift to some small degree,
0: mm.
1: but largely the things that we encounter in life, largely or really entirely, is basically out of our control. And a lot of, I, feel, I do feel that a lot of spirituality in general, and certainly spirituality in the Bhagavad school, is learning how to accept that this is outside of my hand mm-hmm. and I ultimately at least for the Bhagavatam, it 's ultimately God who's behind everything and his power is behind everything mm-hmm. um, so when it comes to even helping people um, you know a lot of that is out of your hands too and I, and I often con to help people get a clarity about this, I often just pose a question to them how how easy do you find to even change yourself Mm. in areas where you know you need to change in areas where you know that you're harming yourself or you're sabotaging your life how hard how easy do you find to change that for most people it's very very difficult even if it's a small thing Mm. it's very difficult to change even small things about ourselves and yet we feel that we have power to change like Especially the millennials and and so on, we felt like we have the power to change like the whole world or the the um a whole social system and all that, and we don 't even have enough power to change even small things about ourselves, which I find it just so fascinating mm-hmm. to to have that like that little self awareness that all and again it comes back to this Barhamuka idea we 're externally oriented we 're so Oriented towards changing, making these huge changes on a world level that we are largely neglectful, maybe even oblivious to the need or the ability to make small changes in our own personal life. And it's just like, and I think a lot of what happens because we don't realize this by instruction, usually, mm. we realize it by being humbled by life circumstances you know, praying or doing something and saying that um, my power is not really sufficient to do anything in this situation. And then in that space of humility, you're able to be taught something deeper and higher and so on like this. Um, so yeah, this is one of the hard things about life. Like sometimes accepting the body that you're in, that's a that's a big one. And I, you know, I keep bringing up the political issues just because of current events, but um, to give clarity to it, But I know one of the demographics that I noticed in our community that struggles the most, not I'm gonna say struggles, but um, maybe have a hard time when devotees say you're not the body. Because we like the the devotees. we do this all the time. You struggle like a a real human issue, you know? And the always (laughs) like, well, you know, you're not the body. And it just seems so freaking dismissive. It can be irritating. But one few groups that i noticed to struggle with this a lot who come to our communities are blacks, women, and gays, LGBT, because, and the reason for this is that, you know, you may have spent so much time trying to come to terms with, you know, who you are in a conventional sense, and you finally do all that hard work for years and years and years, and then you come to the Hari Christian movement, and it's like, well, that doesn't really matter because you're not your body. <laughs> and it just seem like so dismissive, you know? And it, I'm just giving this as an example of things that, we, of things that we need to learn how to accept, things that we may have tried to change. Of course, you can't really change your race, but maybe change your sexuality. You can change your gender, it seems. That's also quite possible. Um, So there are different changes that you can try to make. But a lot of, aside from those changes, what you will discover is that whatever change you make on the outside, you can't run from who you are on the inside. Mm. Um, and so then what, once you come to that realization and usually it happens after a period of being humbled by your attempt to change things externally to the point where you realize that it's impossible, then you come to this point of like accepting ground zero. All right, this is the hand I've been dealt this life, like a poker game. And this is the hand I'm going to have to learn how to play with,
0: Mm.
1: you know? So, which made me, I have to learn to deal with the experience of racism or homophobia or misogyny it would be great to have a world where none of that existed but that's a world that i'm probably not going to encounter in this life Mm. so i may make some endeavor to make changes for the future fine but as far as my lived experience is concerned that's something i'm going to have to deal with Mm. so accepting that how do i make growth within that scenario because i can't actually change that and i feel that this is the this is the hardest part one of the hardest things about spiritual practice is learning to accept the things that we can't change Mm -hmm. isn't there like isn't that something what do they call it the serenity prayer give me the strength to what is it the courage to accept the things that i can't change no the courage. anyway you know the prayer yeah y'all know the prayer i can't i don't remember it give me the strength to accept the things that i cannot change the courage to change the things that i can and the wisdom and the wisdom to see the difference right both so, right. And when I'm looking at this prayer, just based on the way I've been articulating it right now, then you have the, the uh, please give me the strength to accept the things that I cannot change. Mm. Like the external world, largely. It is Ducaleum, it is a place of misery. You're not gonna be able to change that, no matter what you do, no matter what legislation gets passed, no matter how many people you get to pay you reparations, this world is ducalum for everybody. You're not, so the strength to accept that and then the courage to change the things that I can't, like yourself <laughs> You know the courage it, it takes courage to like look at yourself in the mirror and be like, Ooh. <laughs> mm. and, you know or, or you look at yourself in the mirror and you see like this huge shadow demon. You know, that needs to be really needs to be changed and the courage to do so. It can can feel very overwhelming. Mm. And then the wisdom to know that, you know, the difference. So, yeah, that's been, you know, I had to learn. I feel like I've had to learn that lesson young. Mm. I feel like you probably I think you can relate to that. Just having to learn the lesson that there's like I've been dealt a certain hand this life and I'm just going to have to deal with it. Mm. Like, which includes the racism and the homophobia and the, you know, being poor even, or coming from like a lower financial bracket and the the sort of struggles that comes with that. Not being able to have all the same toys that your friends (laughs) had or the video games. And and it it's just like coming to terms with stuff like that. I'm not going to be able, I remember one of the biggest things that I had to get over as a kid was realizing that I was never going to live in a big house. That was like a huge like a huge struggle until like maybe high school and then i was like okay this is this is a reality that i've been dealt this mm. this life I, and then it, it happens repeatedly yeah i also
0: just i i can't remember the verse but it's like from the 10th canto chapter 14 i don't remember what verse but the padam padam vipadam natesham. right so understanding that this world, this material world is a place of pain and there's danger at every step. And the all right. of the devotee is Vaikunta. It's the uh, lotus feet of the Lord. It's taking shelter. Mm. It, I, when you were speaking, I was thinking of this verse because it's like, I think that getting the big house, you know, because I also grew up that way. You know, I grew up in entire <laughs> city mentality. I grew up in a way at a very young age I had to understand oh crap these are the cards that I'm dealt and you know right but at the end of the day we have two minutes left before Instagram turns off because we've been going for an hour um, but I'll just end with my final thoughts are that like what is our goal you know is my is my goal material objects uh cool let me cross-reference that with the Bhagavatam real quick Pada- <laughs> material objects are a place of danger and they're going to bring me pain every single step. So I get the big house. Cool. It's going to bring me more pain. I get a bunch of money. Great. It's going to bring me more suffering and my ability to detach from that's going to be even more difficult, you know? So it's, like, yeah. well, it's really my goal here. Is my goal the material world, which is Dukaliyam, like you've been saying, or is my goal Krishna, you know? And that's mm. always a sobering thing. I have I have to remind myself that like every like five minutes like when I myself like dozing off.
1: Well, you're doing better than me then. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: well, um, we should do this maybe like once a week, I think Jaya, it's so nice. Okay, it is. It's nice to do these uh, things. Madhubapuri, in my experience, the gay black and female devotees have been the most helpful and inspirational. Huh? As a result of their extra level of difficulty, they present a profound level of surrender. Wonderful. And Princess Piena- Yes. Thank you, Princess Papina. Happy birthday to you. And happy birthday to you, Jaya. And thank you, Missy. And we'll be here tomorrow for episode 101. And uh, we'll continue until who knows. We'll see. We'll see. How- yes. <laughs> um, thank you all so much for this really lively Q&A. Session. And maybe we'll do it weekly. We'll, we'll talk about it. I think it was very nice. Thank nice. you, Jaya. Hari. Hari. Thank you, Devi. Hari. Happy birthday, Jaya. Bye, everyone. Thank
1: you. Later. Hari. Hari,
0: Hari.